Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Good morning. This morning has been quite interesting already. I got here and started to put my notes together and saw that I could not read my notes. So I was like, I got a light. I got the light, and the batteries exploded, and the acid that was all the dry acid, I I got those out when to get more batteries. All the batteries in the back exploded, and and so I asked Leslie if she could please go to Walgreens and get me some batteries. But in that time frame, I had the acid batteries in my hands, and so I'm itching all over right now, so it's because I've got the acid all over me. Anyway, real excited to be here. My name is Greg. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And I stole one of these rolls of toilet paper out of the bathroom in case I throw up. I have not preached in this building before. No, that's not really the reason. It's a PSA announcement, and I want to settle a score. And that is, you know, toilet paper has its use. It has purpose. And, but some people don't know one part of the toilet paper, but some people are passionate about it. And that is whether toilet paper should be coming off the top or whether toilet paper should be coming off the bottom. So we're going to settle the score right now. You have to vote. I want to see a hand for everybody at one point. You have to vote. If you don't care, you'll get your chance, but you still have to vote on one of these two. If you prefer it to go underneath, would you raise your hand? If you prefer it to be over top, raise your hand. If you don't care, you can vote twice. If you don't care, raise your hand. Interesting. In 1891, there was a patent on toilet paper, and it specifically states it should go over top. I am not making it up. In addition, their studies have been proven. I promise you I'm not making this up. More bacteria, bacteria is exchanged when it comes from the bottom. I don't know why. I didn't research that much. I saw what I needed, and that's what I took. So for those, the about 30% who do not care, then at least take care of the people who know how it's supposed to be and do it from the top. I can give you an example. Actually, if you go to any hotel, any hotel, any hotel, it comes from the top. Also, we, if you think about it, it makes a whole lot of sense too. We all should be at the same place, either whether it's on top or on bottom, but we've already proven it's on top. For those who don't care, put it on top because, you know, we are, we're really, we're very sensitive, those who want it on top, because when we have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, we don't turn the light on. And we're sitting there trying to find the toilet paper, but you put it on the bottom, and we're sitting there doing this, and we can never find the tip of the toilet paper. So after about 10 minutes of doing that, we turn the light on, and then you're like, what do you turn the light on? You woke me up. Well, it was your fault. There's purpose in toilet paper. There's purpose for it to be over top. And, uh, and if you think about, you know, your purpose in life, you know, a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people struggle with 
what is their purpose in life? And this message actually is really heavy on my heart. I really wanted to give a kind of a jovial message, one that we could have a little bit of comic relief, but God didn't have that planned. And so that purpose that I want to talk a little bit about is uh, is extremely important. And uh, just a little story about something that happened to me. This was several years ago. I was working for a company. I, I was, I mean, I was in a great situation. The position I had, the people I worked with, the people that worked for me, the the my colleagues, everything about it was something that I absolutely enjoyed. I was extremely successful in that role, and I was paid well, and there was no reason why I would want to leave. But I had a I was struggling. Internally, I was struggling. And it wasn't because I didn't like my job, but I was struggling thinking I did not have an eternal purpose in my job. I was helping the, uh, the company I was working for. I was helping them be successful. I was, I was generating a lot of income for them, and, and I really didn't feel like I had a purpose that was meaningful in my job. And I'm sure many people might feel that way. And I really, I prayed, and I gave it to God. I was like, God, I mean, I'm struggling. And, and, I, and I realized at that moment I wanted to get into full-time ministry. And so I shared with Rebecca, my, my wife, which, awesome, awesome, wonderful. She just <laughs> mouthed and said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but she really is awesome. My best friend and... Uh, and, but I, I shared with my wife the, my, my desire, and she was supportive. She was very supportive. And, and, you know, and that, was, that was big because for us to have an income with, you know, I have six kids. At that time, I think we had four. And to think about walking away from a career that was taking care of our needs and then going to full-time ministry, probably going to make 75% less than what I was making with the company. And she was supportive. That was pretty awesome. And so, I, you know, I, I prayed. I gave it to God. And, I, and that week, that week when I had the conversation, I had three specific interactions. The first one was a phone call. And I received it from one of my sales reps. And that person proceeded to tell me how much they appreciated what I have done in speaking into their life. Now, I never said anything. I never pre- I'm, I'm not a preacher at work i just you know, kind of live my life and but what what they said to me was like it was it, it was it, it changed their life because they realized that they needed to make a change oh and i'm like i heard that i was super encouraged and I'm like full-time ministry baby this is it i'm loving it thank you and then on wednesday we had a meeting on the western side of the state and after the meeting one of the managers pulled me to the side and she said, Greg, I want to tell you something. I, I really appreciate you and what you do. And she shared something that she was struggling with. And, and then she proceeded to tell me how, how she was impacted. The words were almost identical to the phone call. Different person, different side of the state. And then on Friday, same week, I got a letter. I got a letter from a manager 
that literally, verbatim, everything was saying almost identical. And it was at that moment that I realized I wasn't supposed to be in full-time ministry, that what I was doing was ministry. And that purpose just really made a huge difference in my level of satisfaction in my job. And even when I was challenged with things, I realized there was a greater purpose for what I was doing, and it really made a huge difference. And there's one part of the story that I didn't share, and that was Rebecca, when she was extremely fully supportive, she did say that, yes, I support you, but what are you thinking about full-time ministry? I'm like, I'm I'm wide open. I'm like, you know, missionary work, you know, full-time pastor, and she's like, yeah, totally support, but not the full-time pastor thing. And I was like, what? She goes, I will disqualify you. And I went, what? (laughs) What have I done to be disqualified? And uh, she goes, trust me, I will disqualify you. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, she was, uh, she was, there was a seriousness side of her about that that I didn't realize until later on in life. And it really is appropriate to what Heath is doing right now. And taking the sabbatical. A full-time pastor of a church is, I would say, probably one of the most demanding positions that somebody could ever have. And she knew it. And she was like, I don't know that I want our life to be that way. Although she would have definitely supported that. Um, and that's the reason why Heath is, is taking the sabbatical. And, and in honor of Alan, I'd like to give a definition of a sabbatical. And I think I have it up. Yes. It's a period of paid leave granted to a university teacher, a pastor of ministry, or other worker for study or travel. Traditionally, one year for every seven years worked. And, well, he's not taking a year off. He's taking six weeks off. And he actually, uh, just to kind of give a little bit of information, you know, 19 years he's been in full-time ministry. And this is the first time. And he's taken six weeks. Uh, he is part of that. He's taken it with his whole family. Party, part of that he's taken it with just him and Jody, and then part of it is by himself. His whole purpose is to be able to create, to, to identify vision and, and to hear from God, and it is well overdue. And if, for, for those who might wonder, wow, this is interesting, haven't heard this, I know already of at least five pastors just in the Wilmington area that within the past 30 days or the upcoming 30 days are either been on a sabbatical, on a sabbatical, or getting ready to go on a sabbatical. So, It is more common that we might know, and six weeks is very minimal. Heath is totally disconnecting. He is is taking all of his notifications off of his phone, and he has gotten rid of social media. He's not tethered to his phone. He's not tethered to Netflix and all this other kind of stuff. And again, his purpose is, is he wants to disconnect so that he can connect with God. And, and I would say that we need to, uh, one, uh, we need to, we talked about this last week, we need to be praying for him and his family. Uh, but two, that we can learn from our leader. We can learn from Heath. The things that he's doing is not something that just a pastor should do. The things that he's doing, really, we should really think about for ourselves. And, you know, his, he, he brought the message last week, by the way, the message that he brought last week which was very powerful. And if you've noticed over the past year, I mean, he's just been bringing it on. And last week was no exception. It even took it up a few notches. So please take your 
your expectations of me down because from what he, I cannot, I, I really cannot. Uh, but what he preached last week and what I had on my heart complements each other. And when he was preaching, I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. And, uh, and so why don't we take a moment, let's pray real quick. Lord, we just really thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we could be here to learn more about what you have for us. And Lord, together, we'd like to lift Heath up to you right now. Lord, I just pray that he would just feel your presence. Lord, that he would know that prayers are all, are all over him right now. And Lord, we just pray for encouragement. Pray for encouragement for him and his family. Pray that, Lord, that you would just give him a, a, a much stronger vision already. And, and Lord, that, uh, Lord, that he would be just filled with wisdom beyond all measure. Thank you, Lord, for bringing Heath to our church. Thank you, Lord, for the leader that he is. And, um, and we just ask for blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so he, uh, he preached out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And really interesting that when he started preaching out of that, uh, Rebecca and I went to what's called Surf Church down at the beach at 7 o'clock in the morning. And you don't hear too many messages about the temple of God and yet that morning at the service that we were at, they talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Temple of God. And then Keith is talking about it. And Rebecca and I are looking at each other like, that's really cool. And, and then in, in that scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16, I'm going to put my glasses on, states this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. I'll come back to that, uh, that verse 19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. Uh, Heath, ha- Heath had some parting words uh, last week. Those parting words were, uh, why is our life in Christ not something that we work out? Why is it that we work, we, we work on our health, we work on, you know, our marriages, we work on uh, our diets, and yet, but when it comes to our walk with Christ, it's not something that we are continually working on. And so then he said, identify what's important to you. What is important to you? And what will you change tomorrow? And... You know, and I look back at that, and I was like, you know, that was, uh, when he was saying it, I was immediately thinking, what's important to me? Rebecca and I actually talked a little bit about it, and after the fact, the next day, and, but, what did I change? Nothing yet. And, and I, you know, it was such a strong word, and I don't know how many people are in the same boat as me, that, you know, you hear that, and you're like, oh, yes, I've got to identify, and then nothing changes. And I think it's important that we really, the words that we're hearing and what God is, is telling us, that we, we are moving in that direction. We're moving in the direction of our pursuit of godliness and, and our walk with Jesus. And then the last song that was, uh, that was saying, you know, after the sermon, I thought was so appropriate. And it was, the more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you. And I actually asked Megan, if, if we could do that song again after the service, because, you know, as, 
as God is stirring in our hearts, you know, those words would be something that really should ring true. And, and, but it starts with the more I seek. And that's, that it starts there. It actually didn't start there. It started that God certainly loved us first. But on our part, uh, seeking first and then finding and, of course, loving. So... <clears throat> In that scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, that, that verse 19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. How many people here have heard the scripture, know the scripture, that being in the world but not being of the world? If you'll raise your hand if you've heard that scripture. All right. I would say probably 90% of the people said yes. Um, that particular scripture, do you know where that is? Is it How many people would think that's in the Old Testament? You know, that specific scripture is in the Old Testament. And how many people would say that was in the New Testament? Okay. Uh, What if I told you that that scripture is not scripture? My whole life, I thought that was scripture. I was like, I've said that. Be in the world, not of the world. And when I started studying this, I'm looking. I'm, I can't find that scripture. I can't find it anywhere. And I'm doing it. And then I do a Google search. And, and it's like, that is not scripture. That is, I mean, those words came out. This is not scripture. Many people think it is. And I'm like, and I would say 90%, maybe, maybe everybody said they've heard that plenty of times before. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but there are several scriptures. Several scriptures that point to that. And I would like to take a moment and go through those scriptures right now. And the first one, John fifteen nineteen. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let's go to the next one. John 17, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Next scripture. 17:15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Next. In 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Next. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Next. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then finally, James 4, you adulterous people, do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 7 or 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then finally, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Actually, I think there's one more. Yeah. Uh, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There are... Is there another one? Okay, thank you. Uh, so many scriptures talk about not being of the world, but being in the world, and and uh, and I, I didn't I didn't hit them all. I just hit you know probably about eight or nine. And but it is clear in in the word about we need to hate sin, uh, but definitely not the sinner. And I think that has been a problem in many cases for people because when there is sin that we see and it's something that bothers us, sometimes people personalize that and think it's 
the individual, and it's absolutely not. But what we have to do is we have to define what is of the world. We have to define, you know, because those, the, the lines, when you think about being in the world, not of the world, what is of the world, there is, there is a, there used to be a more definitive line. And those lines are getting blurred and more blurred and more blurred, it seems like, every single day. In the past couple of years, it seems like it's gotten, gotten so much worse and so much more accelerated, and, and it's a challenge. And, and, you know, and I would also say that when looking at what he's word is and looking at what I'm sharing about, you know, being of the world, not in the world, or being in the world, not of the world, is that there are also identifying the distractions that affects us from being able to pursue our walk with Christ. And, and the, the, and, and the, there is a phrase uh, that I use quite a bit, and it's basically the biggest reason for failure is broken focus. And, and it, if you can focus on something, it's amazing how much quicker you will get things accomplished. At work, how many times have you seen that you're working on something and you get an email and you're now in a different focus and then you kind of, it takes you forever to get back to that piece. People are calling you, uh, people asking you to do things. There's, it's talking about, you know, Heath and the notifications, the notifications that are popping up. It's amazing how long something can take versus how long it should take. And, and that's one of the biggest challenges is the is the broken focus we had to learn to be able to focus and and unfortunately that in our society today broken focus is a norm you know when you look at those notifications when you look at where you're challenged and uh and not being able to not being able to stay focused on the the task at hand there is so i'm getting ready to read you some things there's a 51, I'm not reading all 51, but there's 51 challenges with a statistics. There's some statistics of, of something specific. Now, before I read these, I want you to know that I am not hating on this. This is just an example. It's a relevant example, and it's very prevalent today. But I'm not talking, the, the message is not about this, this is just an example. 51, the 51 statistics of cell phone use. 66% of the population show signs of addiction. It's called nomophobia. 66, two-thirds. The average smartphone owner unlocks their phone 150 times a day. And actually touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Okay, I could stop right there. Right there. Would you see as this example about broken focus? Let me go on. Users spend approximately, just the average user, spends approximately three years, three years, three hours a day. More than half the smartphone owners never switch off their phone. 71% usually sleep with their phone, or it's next to them. 40% check their phones in the middle of the night. That 
certainly could have negative effects on their sleep patterns. An average smartphone user checks their phone every 12 minutes when they are awake till they sleep. 85% of the smartphone users will check their device while speaking with friends or family. 85% while speaking to friends and family. Teenagers, this is just a, this is just a statistic. Uh, teenagers who spend five hours a day on electronic devices are 71% higher likely for suicide. Well, what if we threw adults in there? What's the numbers? Heavy users of social media are 27% more likely to have depression. I'm skipping a lot. 11 teens die every day from distracted cell phone usage while driving. 11 a day. What about the adults? How many does it take it up to? A day. That's just scary to me. More people have smartphones than toilets worldwide. 20% 20% of the people, and I'll end with this one, 20% of the people would rather go without shoes for a week than take a break from their phone. Again, I'm not hating on cell phone. I'm using that as an example. But I do believe that when we look at that broken focus, that's, a, that, that, that's one of the major distracting forces that is very prevalent today. I wonder how much scripture would be on cell phones if there were cell phones when they were writing the Bible. I don't know. <clears throat> so, my question, when I looked, at, and, I, and I thought about bringing statistics and different things that activities that are being done, but I, I, here's where I want to challenge. I talked about defining between, you know, what is of the world and what is not. And the activities that we have every single day, throughout the day, at night, weekends, whenever, if you think about the activities and interactions that you have, of those interactions and activities, could you define next to those whether it's godly or not godly, if it's godly or of the world? And maybe of the world is the wrong terminology. It's the right terminology, but maybe some might be, well, I mean, what's that mean? So maybe just say godly and ungodly. Is, is what, what activities and actions that are, that are being done that drives you towards that, where you want to go? I've shared with my kids their whole life, you know, uh, what you, who you hang around is where you become. Your activities and what you do is it, it, it defines you, and more importantly, when it looks at your, your focus towards your drive for God of what, what the impact it can have. As I mentioned, that we have blurred those lines. There's three things. One, what is your focus? Where is your focus on God? What distractions are breaking your focus? Two, how blurred are the lines in your life. This is something you just need to actually think about yourself. And you need to, you need to sit down and you need to you know, pray. And it's like, God, what is it that I've allowed to be blurred in my life that has taken me away from you? So you've got that. You've got the, the, the broken focus. And then the third thing, are you ready to bless your father today? It is Father's Day. I know that wasn't part of my message, but actually it is. And that is, you know, first, before I go there, I'll say, this is, a, this is a day that fathers look forward to. 
They, 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 just like Mother's Day, mothers look forward to being blessed and honored. Father's Day, you know, it's better than a birthday. And so I would encourage you. Actually, I would encourage you right now. Look at your father and go, you're awesome. He would appreciate that. Awesome, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heath, last week he talked, and I wanted to do this, and I timed it, and I didn't have enough time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the visual picture like he did. He talked about the rocks, pebbles, and sand analogy. Remember that? And, and it works. You take those three different jars, and you've got the same amount of pebbles, rocks, and sand. And if you put them in the wrong way, it doesn't work. And, and I've, I've done it before, and I've added water to that mix and have four things. And water spills everywhere if you don't do it right. The only way to do it is to put the big rocks in first. Then you put in the pebbles, and you shake it. Then you put in the sand, and you shake it. And then you pour the water if you put in the fourth element. If you go the opposite way, and you put in the water, the sand, the pebbles, and then the big rocks, not only will not all the rocks go in, but the water will spill out if you do all four elements. It's, it's worked every time. But here's the part that I wanted to point out. So I want you to picture that for a moment. You've done it the wrong way. And then it's time to put the big rocks in, and you can't. It's impossible. You can't fit the big rocks in when you do it the wrong way. So now label those rocks. This is what I wanted to do. My plan was I was going to do this, and I was going to have labeled on the rocks those important things that are being missed. God, family, health, you name it. Those are the things that are, that are not getting put into the bucket of being, that's being done but then when you think about what is getting done, you think about those items that typically are distractions and activities that you, are, that you may be doing that is taking you away from God. And if you think about that, it's really it's, it's sobering to think about the time that we fill out in our day that the most important piece of our lives is what God has done for us. You know, God sacrifices life for us so that we could have life. And so for Father's Day, thinking of the ultimate father, this is a perfect day to get things right. <clears throat> if I could ask the worship team to come back up. So that script, those, those scriptures, all those scriptures that tie in, even though the one scripture I said was not there, but all these other scriptures tie in to what that says. And they all kind of mean that what we thought was there that's not, but it's, that's the definition, the interpretation. My challenge is for us to reflect. You know, Heath is, that time that he's taken for his sabbatical is to rest, refresh, and reflect. And, and I encourage us to reflect right now. And, and that, that if, if God is speaking to your heart about any area that you would like to get straight with him, I would encourage you to not leave today and not settle that 
We settle the score of the toilet paper. You can settle what it is with you and God with no problem. And, and so my, my encouragement would be is that as we sing this song, um, take the first run through this song and just pray. And then let the word sink in. And then we'll stand. Actually, at the, when you sense, you'll say, let's, let's stand together. Um, that would, I think this would be a great time for us to really just sit back and reflect. And, and then I'll go back to the very beginning of saying that what Heath is doing is something that we should probably look. There's a reason for it. And, uh, and, and I got to tell you, Heath, good friend of mine, uh, an amazing pastor, he does carry all of our burdens. I, I spend time with him, and, and I hear some of the things that he shares, and he carries all of our burdens, and which is the reason for this needed time to, to be able to rest and to refresh and to reflect and see what God has for, for him and what God has for our church. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.